Please open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. The book of Ruth records events that took place during the time of the judges. Now we know that the time of the judges was a very difficult time during the history of Israel as a nation. We know that they were falling away from God. God would then allow their enemies to oppress them. God would send judgments just as he had warned he would. And this would then, of course, cause them to turn their hearts back to the Lord and cry out on him. And then he would raise up a judge, a deliverer. And this cycle took place over hundreds of years during this, this time after Joshua, uh, this period of the judges. And, and yet what we see in Ruth is that even in this um, kind of a backslidden state for the nation, we do see God's working in individual lives. And that's the way it is even today, even when a culture, a country, a nation begins to slide away from the Lord, there are still those, the remnant, those hearts that still turn back to God. And when they do, God is there and God blesses and God works. God is not limited uh, to work in individual lives that will put their trust in him. And you'll remember our story here, it began with um, a man by the name of Elimelech who took his wife, Naomi, and two sons. They fled Bethlehem because there was a famine in the land, and they went to the land of Moab. Now, the reason there was a famine in the land in, in Bethlehem was because the children of Israel had turned their back on the Lord, and the Lord was judging. The Lord was disciplining his people. And so Elimelech and Naomi, they, they left, being very discontent with the famine. They thought maybe perhaps they would find a better way, a better opportunity in Moab. But it was a bad decision. Uh, it's always a bad decision to leave uh, the place that God has put you, to leave God's promised land, even in difficult time, even in trial, even in even in circumstance where God may be using something to discipline, chasten, grow, mature, strengthen your life. It's not a time to run, but rather a time to seek the Lord and draw near to the Lord. But Elimelech and his family leave. And of course, Elimelech dies there in Moab. And then the two sons who marry there in Moab, they also pass away. So Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws are left widowed there in Moab. And they now, Naomi hears that God is now blessing uh, back in Bethlehem. She de decides to return. And one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, is determined to come with her. And Ruth really puts her faith in the God of Naomi. Naomi hears, now ten years has passed and all of this has happened. And now God is returning to the land blessing the people again, and Naomi determines to, lead, to return, and Ruth is determined to come with her. You'll remember uh, what we looked at last week in chapter 1, verse 16, that beautiful passage that speaks of Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, and treat me not to leave you 
or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. What a beautiful statement of loyalty, commitment, and faith. Your God will be my God. This is Ruth's confession of faith. She has seen something in Naomi. Naomi is broken. Naomi's life is crumbled about her. She's lost her husband, her two sons. But still in her heart, she knows that she needs to return to Bethlehem because she hears that God is visiting his people again. And something of her faith, as weak as it was, sparked something in Ruth, and Ruth determined to go with her. But they return, and of course they return empty-handed. I mean, they're they are widows. They come very poor. They come with nothing but to put themselves at the mercy of God. Ruth is very discouraged, and you can understand anybody would be. She's coming back to her homeland, but she's coming back having lost her sons and her husband and not knowing what to expect. The, the people there in Bethlehem are happy to receive her back. She's coming back to town, but she's very discouraged, as she expressed in chapter 1 and verse 20. They're happy to see her, but she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, which means pleasant, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? As I mentioned, her life here is broken. And, you know, she has a very different perspective. When she, when she left... She was discontent there in Bethlehem. They left to Moab pursuing material opportunity and blessing and, and a better life, thinking that the life they had there wasn't pleasant. But now she realizes that, you know, it's not always greener on the other side, right? Things are not always better just because you don't like what's going on. doesn't mean that you're moving to improvement just when you make changes. And she realized now that when I went out, although I thought I was empty, in truth I was full because I still had my family. She realizes now that relationships are much more important than material security, than the, than the, than the possessions of, that they pursued in Moab. She's humbled. She's broken. She's returning to the Lord, but her faith is very weak and her circumstances are desperate. She thinks the Lord is against her. Maybe she feels condemned. Maybe she realizes in her heart we should have never left. And now I'm coming back. I don't even know how the Lord is going to treat me back in our homeland. We're coming back without any real hope of a future. Maybe even she's confused and thinks the Lord is actually afflicting her. But in truth... The Lord is getting ready to bless her. The Lord is getting ready to restore her. Pick it up with me now in chapter 2. They've come to Bethlehem. Now, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. 
So we get a little brief introduction to a man named Boaz. We'll learn more about him as we go. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and was of, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Boaz. We're introduced here. Now, Naomi and Ruth do not have not met Boaz. They're not aware that there is this relative uh, that, that she's going to happen to end up gleaning the field. She's just simply going out. But Boaz, where we learn here, he was a man of great wealth. And that, that phrase there in the Hebrew, man of great wealth, sometimes it's translated uh, a man of great valor. So this, this speaks of a man with some real credibility in his community, a man of wealth, a man of valor, strength, and virtue. And we learn that he is a relative of Elimelech. Now this is going to be very important as the story plays on because he's going to have a very unique position in Naomi's life because he's related to her ex-husband. Uh, we'll find out uh, those details, of course, as the story unfolds. But this was not yet known to Ruth as she heads out to glean. She's simply going out to try and find food so they can survive. And, um, you know, Boaz, he's, he stayed in the land through the famine, through the trial. It turns out he becomes a man of great wealth, strength, and virtue. Elimelech, who fled the famine and sought you know, to escape the hardship and find material prosperity in Moab, he and his sons died in Moab. So circumstances, running and trying to manage circumstances by moving around and, and fleeing and taking matters into your own hands don't, don't, always, don't always produce the kind of results that you're hoping for. And Boaz, even though he stayed and he was a man that endured whatever the Lord's discipline was during that season, we find him now in a very great position of wealth and blessing. We also see here just from the text that he's clearly a man of God. He comes to his field. He's in Bethlehem. And uh, Ruth has gone out and started to glean uh, the, behind the, the harvesters there. They came during the time of barley harvest. And so uh, Boaz comes and the work has already started. He's coming from Bethlehem and he, meet, he greets those, his servants that are there uh, harvesting his field. And he says, you know, the Lord be with you. I mean, that'd be a great way to walk into work, wouldn't it? God bless you guys today. And the, the employees respond, and the Lord bless you, Boaz. He had this rapport with his servants, clearly a godly man. And there was something of a, of a warmness there between him and his workers. They knew him and they, they asked the Lord's blessing upon him as they respond to him. 
And I like this. I like this about Boaz, that whatever he was in his private devotion life, clearly that's who he was in his professional life as well. He was the same at work as he was in the temple. He was the same with his co-workers as he was with his God. He was a man of God and God was not separated or isolated in his church life. And then he's this harsh ogre, you know, what's wrong with you guys get to work? You know, this is different personality in the workplace. I think there's something there for us as well. We see this good spirit that he brings into his workplace and amongst his workers. And I know in our culture, we have to be careful about things that we can say and not say in the workplace. And, you know, I, I would certainly suggest following those rules that are laid down in, in your particular place of employment. But, you know, you can still be godly. You don't have to necessarily uh, preach the gospel on the job and still live the gospel on the job. God may open up opportunities where you can share your faith, but you can always live your faith. And I think it's important that who we are in church and who we are in our spiritual walk and and life amongst the Christians, we are also, that's who we are in the workplace as well. That people know that you're a person of faith and a person of prayer. Boaz clearly had that reputation amongst his servants And I think that's a good model for us, whether you manage others or whether you report to others, or in some cases you do both. You report and manage, but whatever the situation, you know, be godly, be godly in that workplace, be Christ's ambassador in that place. Look for opportunities to share the love of God. Boaz walks in. God bless you guys. What a cool way uh, to just a good heart, just a spirit of joy as he comes into his workplace. Now, this whole business of gleaning, this was actually something that God had instituted in the law. This was God's uh, program for taking care of the poor, the widows, and the strangers. That when the farmers and property owners were, were harvesting their land, They were not supposed to go through and harvest every last bit of harvest. You know, and and just in naturally kind of walking through a field and harvesting, you have stuff that's falling off and stuff you're leaving behind. You don't get every single uh, piece of product the first pass. And the idea of gleaning is that idea of coming back through and making sure you get it all. And God gave instruction to the, to the farmers, don't do that. Leave some of that behind. If you miss some, don't worry about it. Leave that behind for the unfortunate, for the poor. They can follow you and then that becomes sustenance for them. And don't go into every little corner of your field. Don't be so careful to leave nothing behind, but rather... Be, be uh, willing to leave some things behind because that will not go wasted, but it will become a blessing for those that don't have the same opportunity that you have in your harvest. God cares for the poor. God cares for the stranger. This is actually in several places. I'll, I'll quote just from one. I think I'll have it up for you on the overhead. Leviticus 23 and 22 When you reap the harvest of your land, 
You shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. Don't go back through again. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And God uh, accents this instruction with the reminder, look, I'm the Lord. I'm the one providing you with the harvest. I'm taking care of you. Now you be willing to take care of others. I'm the one that made, that made the harvest fruitful, and I'll bless you in your harvest if you'll be careful to use your excess to be a blessing to others. So Ruth comes into town with Naomi, and she immediately wants to become proactive. Uh, Naomi, what do you think about me going out and gleaning? We, we arrived. It's barley harvest. This is a good time to get out there. Uh, let me go see if I can find favor here somewhere in the community and, and get behind some, some, some uh, workers and, and see if I can't come home with some food for us tonight. And, and Naomi says, you know, that's a good idea. You better, better get out there. She's a little older and Ruth obviously a little younger, a little more able. You go, girl. You go, daughter. It's a good idea. <clears throat> there is a Latin proverb that says, Providence assists not the idle. Ruth is proactive. She's looking to get out there and do what she can. Now, God is going to bless. God is going to be the provider. God is going to work. But Ruth and Naomi are not just sitting in the house. Okay, God, when are you going to? open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us. No, they're, they're engaged in what they already know God has provided as a means of provision for them. Gleaning was a God-given provision for the poor, and they certainly qualified. So, verse 3 tells us that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, Looks like just chance coincidence, doesn't it? She's going to go out and glean in a field, and it just so happens that the field she picks to glean is owned by a man named Boaz. And, you know, this, this tells us something, again, just about God's providence. He seems to guide those who are going. As you are walking, as you are moving, as you are stepping in faith, God is orchestrating your steps. He's not guiding those that are sitting and staying and doing nothing, but he's guiding the going. I, there's a, I heard this, you know, it's hard to steer a parked car, right? A car needs to be moving if you're going to steer it somewhere. So Naomi and Ruth, they are active, they're moving. And you remember Jesus, he called fishermen while they were mending their nets. He called Matthew while he was working in his tax office. You know, he's, he's looking for people that are ready to move and walk in faith with him, and he will then guide and direct. And so we find that God blesses in this situation. Proverbs 16:9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So Ruth and Naomi, they make a plan, let's get out there and glean. But God is meticulously working details out in their lives. And I want to encourage you tonight that God is meticulously working out the details 
of your life as well. God is ever busy endeavoring to bring you and me into his plan of blessing, his plan of purpose, plans that he made before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, even the number of hairs upon your head are known by your father. It may seem like your life is just this big, out-of-control happenstance, and, but it's not. God is working. God is working on your behalf. God is working behind the scenes. Listen, Ruth and Naomi have no idea what's coming. They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to get through the day. But God is at work and God is moving. And when you're moving in faith, that's important because Naomi and Ruth, they were walking their best toward the Lord. Naomi came back to the promised land and Ruth committed in her heart to go with her. I want to I want your God to be my God. These are women that are doing their best with what they have, where they are, their circumstance, which is not easy. But they're doing their best to follow the Lord. And in that setting, God is working. God is planning to use Ruth and Naomi in ways they haven't even imagined. Ruth herself is going to be woven into the lineage of King David. She's going to be woven into the family tree of Jesus Christ himself. She could have never known this. She's just trying to find food for the day for her and her mother-in-law. But God is working. Look at verse 5. Boaz has come to work. He sees what's taking place. He's greeted his servants. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? It's like a new girl in town. What's she? Who's she? Verse 6. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and, and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So Boaz comes. Now this is a small town, Bethlehem. He no doubt had heard that Naomi had returned. I mean, he is a distant relative of hers. The scripture doesn't tell us the exact relation, but uh, no no doubt Boaz had heard that Naomi had come back with one of her daughters-in-law. Now he just comes to work and he notices a new uh, woman out there gleaning in his fields. Oh, who's who's this young gal? And so he gets the story. Oh, that's the one that came back with Naomi. That's Ruth, the the woman from Moab. And she came and she asked if she could glean. And boy, she's been gleaning since morning until now. She's a hard worker. She's out there doing her best. And so Boaz um, takes notice. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us that Ruth was of some particular beauty that caught his eye. She may have been, but the scripture does not indicate this. It may just have been uh, Boaz knowing, you know, his workers and knowing the typical women who came out to glean, just simply noticed that this was someone new in town. Or maybe she was attractive and Boaz was, you know, just noticed her. But the scripture doesn't seem to indicate that. And what, what I personally feel is that 
what we're going to see as this unfolds, I really feel that Boaz is drawn more to her character than to her beauty, although she may have been beautiful. The scripture doesn't accent that, doesn't highlight that for us, but the scripture definitely highlights her character. And the first thing we notice is that she's very loyal to her mother-in-law, that she has come and made this pilgrimage away from her country, away from her family, to stand by her mother-in-law, and she's out gleaning now, and she's a hard worker, working hard all day. Look with me now in verse 8. Boaz introduces himself. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Now Ruth responds, verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Boaz, something in his heart, reaches out with hospitality towards this young Ruth. He sees her there doing her best. He's, he notices her. He knows something of her story. And you see, even in his words, that he's impressed that she would come with her mother-in-law, that she would leave all that she knew, all that was comfortable for her, that she would come with her mother-in-law, but he also knows that she's come in faith. You've come to seek shelter and refuge under the wings of our God. And I pray that he bless you. I pray that, that he reward you for your faith and reward you for your effort and loyalty to your mother-in-law. Boaz just has a heart of wanting to encourage this young woman. And he says, now listen, you don't need to glean anywhere else. Stay with my guys. Stay with my lady. You stay in my fields. We'll look after you. I'll protect you. I'll make sure that you have uh, uh, provision while you're here. You get thirsty. Help yourself to the drinks that are available here. And you just make yourself at home. And may the Lord bless you. So Boaz shows great favor. And Ruth responds really very humbly, very beautifully. She falls on her face. Why have I found favor? She knows she's a foreigner. She knows that, you know, she doesn't really belong there. She knows that she has no entitlement there. She has no claim to make in this foreign land. She's just a total stranger walking into this field to glean you know, and now Boaz is noticed and, and give, given her this, 
encouragement. And, you know, the only claim that she has is the hope that this God that she has heard about and believed in and put her trust in is going to look after her and be faithful to her and show her his grace. And through Boaz, he does. God sees her. God moves on Boaz's heart. And she makes, again, no claim. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the way all of us need to come to the Lord. Don't come making claims. Don't come saying, well, it's about time you notice me. I've been served. I'm at sweating out here all day. Where's the water? No, you don't see any of that in Ruth. And, and so she, she just humbles herself and says, you know, I, I don't deserve anything. I'm a foreigner here. But you've shown me kindness. You've comforted me. And I appreciate that. And I think that's the way we should approach the Lord. You know, we come to the Lord and, and we have no claim but to appeal to his mercy, to his grace, and humble ourselves before him. Lord, we're all, we're all foreigners. Lord, we're all, none of us belong in your presence. None of us deserve your kindness or your goodness or your mercy. We're all just sinners, aliens to you and your kingdom. But Lord, I come and I ask for you to, to put your grace upon me. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. There's nothing I can offer you. There's nothing I can repay. But Lord, I just plead that you would take mercy and that you would pour out your grace upon me and that you would cover me under the shadow of your wing. You know, the psalmist, Psalm 36, verse 7, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So Boaz is blessed to show comfort and encouragement to Naomi, excuse me, to Ruth. And Ruth is humbly and graciously receiving it. And it really is the gift of hospitality. Boaz, Boaz wanted to bless her. Now again, I don't think there's anything else going on here yet. Now there will be. But at this time, Boaz is just, you know what? Here's this, this young woman who has put her faith in God. She's left, left it all. And... Um, I just want to see her blessed. I want to see God. He's interceding for her, really. And there's something in his heart that I think should be in all believers' hearts. Some awareness of those that are around us that need to be encouraged. Those that are hurting. Those that are lonely. Those that are without resource. Again, it's an encouragement in the Lord. It's a response to faith to those that are turning to the Lord. How important it is for us to encourage other believers, especially those that are either young in the Lord or those that are struggling, going through a great time of trial and a season of difficulty, that we would speak words of encouragement and comfort. And so Boaz, he's, he's looking to bless. He's caring for the stranger. He's really demonstrating the character of Christ. He's noticing. He's encouraging. 
And she says, you know what, you have comforted me. And so I believe that, you know, Jesus would have us. Jesus said, even a cup of water given in my name will not go without reward. Jesus is mindful of every need, not only that we have, but of those that are around us. And, and Boaz is the instrument here, isn't it? Isn't he? Boaz is the instrument of God's provision and blessing. And so God would call us to be mindful of those that are in need. Remember Jesus there in Matthew, he said, you know, I was in prison and you never visited me. You know, I was hungry and you never fed me. I was naked, you never clothed me. And Jesus, when did we, when were you in prison and we didn't come? When were you in need and we weren't there? And Jesus said, as, as much as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Jesus is, is very interested in us representing him to the least of others. That we would minister to the needs and So we see Boaz, really a wonderful example of hospitality, that caring for the stranger, that noticing and encouraging. Look with me now, verse 14. The day moves on a little bit. Mealtime comes around. And now that they've had this little conversation, I I think Boaz is starting to take a little more special interest in Naomi. Now, Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Okay, so now it looks like Boaz has a special interest. He's not thinking much about the harvest as much as he is about Ruth at this stage. Something has caught his eye. And and as I mentioned, the scripture doesn't tell us if Ruth was a... A beautiful woman or not. She may have been, but she she certainly had a beautiful spirit. And I think that Boaz is attracted to that. He already has a certain respect for her because knowing of her testimony. But now that he's talked with her and she's just been so gracious and very humble and so diligent, you know, and now I think he's really he's drawn to her. And he really wants to bless her. He wants to actively participate in blessing her, not just allowing her to glean, but, you know, let her glean right up in where, you know, all the the product is still there. And not only that, but make sure you're dropping stuff, you know, behind you so she can have opportunity. I want to send her home with all she can carry. And then at mealtime, he says, you know, come and, and dip your bread in vinegar, probably maybe a little special spot of blessing for her and so she eats and and just this special special blessing and she's drawn to her it was a chance coincidence that she happened to be there right just happened to be at Boaz's field they just happened to have this exchange and and now Boaz just happens to be very impressed with the character of this young woman 
You know, it reminds me of when I met my wife. <laughs> we just happened to go to the same junior high school. We just happened to join choir together and sing. She just happened to think I was cute and start pursuing me. <laughs> we got into high school. She just happened to get a locker right next to mine. Now, honey, that was just chance, right? You've always told me that. Okay. <laughs> we, didn't actually, we did meet in junior high, and uh, we were friends. But it was later in our high school years. I was a senior, actually, and she was a junior. And we did sing in choir together. And our choir was going to be doing this performance. And there were multiple choirs, you know, different choirs from the high school, all singing at this concert that we were going to be putting on for the parents. So there was rehearsals going on. And in the gymnasium, they, you know, they were rehearsing the various choirs. And she was in one of the choirs that I wasn't in. And so I'm just goofing off with my buddies out in the hallway, you know, while the other choir is rehearsing. And then I hear this voice, this beautiful singing voice in the rehearsal. I'm saying, who is that? And... Um, She's singing this song. It's an old, an old gospel tune called My Tribute. It's a Christian song, powerful, beautiful uh, Christian song. And uh, I'm thinking, who has the courage to sing that song like that in a public high school? So I poke my head in around, you know, from the hallway. And there's my soon-to-be wife. <laughs> singing with all her heart my tribute to the Lord. And I'm telling you, something happened in my heart. I was 18, and that was just like, wow. That, I'm not ready to be married, but that's the kind of woman I would love to meet and marry someday. And we started dating, and a few years later, well, I went to college, but we got married, and that was 31 years ago. So, Amen. We both became Christians when in our teens, when we were in high, in high school. And so I was, you know, I was surprised to find somebody with, you know, that kind of spiritual character there in my high school. It was a, you know, secular school and not many Christians. But the point is, you know, God, God orchestrates things in our lives. I, I look back on all of that and I know none of it was coincidence. I know none of it was chance. I know it was the Lord. Hard for me to believe that, you know, in junior high, God was already orchestrating things that were going to affect the entirety of my life. But this is what God is up to. And he's up to these things in your life, too. And it's it's so important to be like minded with the Lord. You know, you see that Boaz is a, is a God fearing man and he's drawn to a God fearing woman. And, of course, Ruth is also going to be drawn to him. She's impressed with him and who he is and the kindness and the, the generosity and the character that, that he is demonstrating. 
And these spiritual things are, are really the most important qualities that we, we need to model and those things that we need to be looking for in one another. But God is at work. All of this, uh, God working. These bundles of uh, sheaves that are to be left behind. Let those bundles fall purposefully, he says. And I, I want to tell you that I, that's the way the Lord has worked in my life. I have found little bundles of purpose along the way. And maybe you can think of, of those little encouragements that the Lord gives you. You know, Ruth and Naomi are desperate. This is not a good season for them. She's just getting enough to take home and hopefully she's got enough that they can live on for a little while. But God is dropping these bundles over for her, encouraging her along the way. And I know that even in my own life, there have been times of, of leanness, times of difficulty, times of uncertainty. And I'm so encouraged when God just drops a little bundle of purpose on the roadside and just reminds me he's with me. He hasn't left me. It's not, you know, it's not enough. This wasn't, wouldn't be enough to sustain them forever. But it was enough to know that God was showing favor, that God was with them on this journey and in this difficult season. You know, I want to speak to your heart tonight. You may be in a trying time. Look for those bundles of purpose. Look for those small encouragements that come from God, sent from heaven divinely for you to remind you that he's with you, that he hasn't abandoned you. You're not through it yet. The harvest, the full harvest has not yet arrived, but a little breadcrumb along the way is guiding you and directing you. And if you look for it, you'll see it. If, you're, if your heart is open to it, God will show you those little roadsides along, road signs along the way to remind you, I'm with you. Don't give up. Keep going. I'm leading you. You trust me. I'm working behind the scenes. I'm working on your behalf. You trust me and continue in your way because I am leaving these little bundles of purpose intentionally to bless you as you go. Small but noticeable encouragements. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley, 30 pounds. <laughs> that would be more than she could barely carry at home. Verse 18, Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Remember when she broke for lunch? Remember, they gave her a meal and she ate until she was satisfied, but then she kept some back. She was saving some for Naomi. She didn't eat it all. She kept some for her mother-in-law. She brought her, her lunch leftovers home from work to bless her mother-in-law. Verse 19. 
And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. It was obvious that she came home with much more than typical gleaning would produce. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And when Naomi heard that name, something happened in her heart too. When she heard that this great day of gleaning was from gleaning in a man's field by the name of Boaz, something triggered in Naomi's heart as well. Look with me, verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that, uh, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman to Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Hope is restored in Naomi's heart. You remember how she came home broken bitter, rejected, without hope. My husband's gone. My sons are gone. The Lord has abandoned me. I'm coming back to his land, but I have no idea what, to, what I will find here because things are going poorly for me. But when Ruth comes home, you know, with the, with the barley, <laughs> 30 pounds, and, and, and a meal to boot. Where have, where have you gleaned? Man, I have, whoever showed you this kind of favor, oh, they need, I hope they're blessed. His name is Boaz. And immediately Naomi says, Blessed be the Lord. He has not forgot the living and the dead. Hope comes alive in her heart again. It's been bitter. It's been dry. It's been difficulty. But now, God is at work. And God is at work for good in my life. This is the beginning of, God, of good things to come. She can see it in faith. Listen, they're still widows. They're still flat broke. All they've got is whatever she's carried home. But hope is restored. You see, God's touch upon their life, God's renewal of their faith has restored both of them to a place of looking and expectation to the Lord. It's not in yet. It hasn't happened yet. They still don't know how this is going to play out. But Naomi knows this is not just a man with a field. This is a man who is a close relative of ours. This is a man who actually has a unique position to help us beyond just gleaning. 
And of course, that's what the rest of the story will show us. And we look forward to studying it together. But this is the moment where Naomi's hope comes to life. And Ruth, bless her heart, she's just out doing her best. But she's totally an instrument of God's hand. God is working and using her to bless Naomi. He's using Boaz to bless Ruth. And God is at work to bless all of them. In the end, we're going to see that God's hand is all over this. Romans 8:31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Ruth comes home with barley, and Naomi knows it's the Lord. God has come to us with his son. Life may be challenging at times. There may be difficult seasons. But don't forget Jesus. Don't forget the greatest demonstration of God's love. How can we forget? If, if, he, if he loved me enough to send Jesus to die upon the cross, surely I can endure this hardship. Surely I can walk through this season trusting in his love to bring me through. If he didn't spare his son, but delivered him up, surely, now that I have received his son, he will give me all things. It doesn't always come the way we imagine it or even maybe want it, but it comes. God's if you walk with the Lord long enough, you're going to see his faithfulness to you. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord, you've already seen it. You may be in another season of need and difficulty, but you know God has met you with those little bundles of provision along the way. He's faithful. And listen, this life, we're just pilgrims here. Don't, don't measure at all in, you know, this life. Don't forget, don't lose sight of that God has got something planned for eternity. Ruth and Naomi, you know, their life would be blessed, but, but God was actually weaving them into a plan that would be played out many generations later. They would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that stands for eternity. We'll meet Ruth one day and we'll say, wow, so you're that great, great, great grandmother of David and, and the family tree of Jesus. Yep, little old me from Moab. <laughs> God working in eternal, eternal ways, his good, good purpose for our lives. What a difference a day makes. This all happened in one day. One day. I'll close with this. Jesus invites us to come to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for this chapter in Ruth, which reveals to us your hand of providence working behind the scenes. These two women, Lord, widowed, poor, desperate, and alone, wondering what would become of them and their life. God, you were working. You knew what was coming, and you were working on their behalf all along behind the scenes. And so we can draw encouragement here tonight, Lord. If you're with us, we're okay. And you are with us, and you're for us. You're not against us. Naomi thought you'd, you'd abandon her, and we're actually against her, but not really. You were bringing her home so that you could bless her, so that you could provide for her, looking to take care of her. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, even those that may be going through a trying time, that we would recognize that even though we may not see it, we believe that you who love us are working on our behalf. And I pray that you would give little nuggets of encouragement, Lord, little road signs, little bundles of purpose along the way to encourage the hearts tonight that they would be reminded they're not alone. You're with them. You're for them. And I pray, God, that we would be drawn to Jesus, the ultimate Redeemer, the ultimate Savior. Boaz, really just a picture of what would ultimately be manifested in fullness through the person of Jesus Christ. As our heads are bowed here today, and we close in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity, if you're here tonight and, and you do not know the Lord in a personal way, you've never really invited Jesus Christ into your life. You've never received His love, His forgiveness. He invites you tonight. As sure as the day he spoke those words, come unto me and I will give you rest. Rest. Rest from your own efforts of trying to be righteous before God. Rest of your own trying to make your life go and be blessed. Rest from your own works. Come and receive the grace and mercy that available to you through him who loved you and died on the cross for you. I'd love to pray for you tonight if you want to receive Christ. Or maybe maybe you're here tonight and you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you, like Naomi, you've lost your way. You know He's out there. You know that He's real, but you just... You don't have that confidence anymore that He's for you. You, you, you. you sense maybe He's even against you. You, may, you sense things aren't going well and, and you're just kind of drifting. 
and you've steered away from God and in hurt and brokenness and you find yourself again just feeling empty and lonely and you need to come back to the Lord. You need to return to Him. And as Naomi found that he, God was waiting for her to come back to Bethlehem just to embrace her and to begin working in her life again. I'd love to pray for you if you need to come back to the Lord and recommit your life to Him. So if you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time or you want to rededicate, recommit your life, I would ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated tonight and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, Lord speaking to you? God bless you. And you, sir, as well. A couple hands over here on my right and the others. Lord ministering to you. You want to receive the Lord. You want to come back to the Lord. Just before I pray, anyone else? So, Lord, for these two hearts that have responded here tonight, I, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would speak into their hearts, Lord, a word of hope and encouragement tonight. That as they come to you, they would come, Lord, just as Ruth came, just humbly before you, Lord. We would fall before you and then we, we would say, Jesus, we don't deserve your favor. But we believe that you love us and we believe that you died on the cross for us. And we're asking you to forgive us of our sins. And we're asking you, Lord, to begin to work in our lives for your kingdom, for your glory, for your purpose. We love you and receive your love in faith tonight in Jesus name. Amen.